it is amazing to me to think that this scripture that we're about to read together has been so meticulously cared for and handed down for thousands and thousands of years. There is no other book, there is no other document that has been so precisely cared for and handed down. And I, and I don't mean only by people who respect it and handle it with care, but by the Spirit of God who breathed these words into existence and has protected them. So may we be in awe of God's word today, amen? That's an incredible thing. I'm going to read uh, three uh, passages from the scripture today, and what I'd like you to do as I read each one, I want you to listen, and I want you to think about if you had to summarize that passage in one, two, three words, just a very quick idea, three passages, and your job is to listen and to summarize in one or two words. Let's open God's word together. Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in, naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. What's the word or two that you would use to summarize? Passage two, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Passage 3, Acts 2 and 46. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we come... maybe some without much thought, maybe just as an appointment, a habit. But I hope, I pray that through the music and through the fellowship, through the reading of your word, Father, that we have clarified, we have centered ourselves, and we have come to adore you, to worship you. I say honestly, Lord Jesus, that we love you and we thank you and words will never be enough 
for what you have done for us. But what we have, we offer today. And we pray, knowing that our greatest need is you, we pray that your way, your agenda, your will would be done in the midst of this church. And Father, I say honestly that if your Holy Spirit will come, we will set aside any plan that we have because I truly believe with all of my heart that whatever you have to say is so far more important than anything I could ever say. So come. We need you more than we know sometimes. Come, Holy Spirit. Breathe life into weary bones so that we might be whole and that we might love you all the more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When I was in the army, um, they would often send us to the most miserable places, often in the desert to train. And, and uh, I didn't like the desert. There's just a whole list of reasons why I didn't like the desert. But, but one of them is it was so easy to get lost in the desert. Because if you're traveling, and especially at night, and you have to go a, a great long distance, it was just so, there's not a lot of terrain features, and, and, and you just got lost. And so every once in a while, you know, over that long, flat desert, if you were traveling 10, 20, 30 miles, whatever, sometimes you just had to stop and, and pull out one of those compasses that you see uh, behind me. And he had to do something that was called an azimuth check. Now, that's probably not a term that many of you have heard. An azimuth check. I'll skip over kind of the technical part of it, but, but I just want you to know that if you got out and you got your map and you got your compass, no matter kind of where you are, you can figure out if you're in the right spot, if you're headed in the right direction, or if you kind of veered off the course that was set before you. Here's the thing about getting lost. Listen, this is the truth. If you're only off by just a degree, you know, if you're only going 10 feet, that's no big deal. But if you're off by just a degree and you're traveling those 20 miles, by the time that you get to where you think you ought to be, and I can tell you from personal experience because I've done it, is that you can be off by 5, 10, or 15 miles from where you're supposed to be, from the mission that you have been given. So I, I propose this morning that we do an azimuth check for our church. Are we where we're supposed to be? Are we on the right path or are we moving fast but drifting off just a little bit? Now, I think the natural response for some here today might be, you know what, we, we just do what we do. You know, and we're probably just going to kind of continue to do it the way that we've always done it, and we're probably not going to change. In response to that, I would just say, just like a soldier, if you're off just by a degree over 5, 10, 20 years, 
without even knowing it, just being off by a fraction, if you travel far enough, you can be completely away from the mission, from the objective that God has given us as identified in his word. And so what together, just to be safe, I mean, we may be right on course. You tell me, we decide this together. Let's honestly do an asthma check and be open to God's word and be open to his Holy Spirit. And I don't think anybody can really argue with that. So what is the mission? What's the objective of the church? I offered you three sermon passages this morning, and perhaps you were drawn to one more than the other. All, all three of the passages I read this morning have something to do with what the church is all to be about. What is our mission? What's our objective? Listen again. I'll, I'll be even briefer. Matthew 25. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Number one. Number two, go. Therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Number three, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, and they were praising God. And you know what? I would like to be right in the middle of that revival that I saw. But I'll tell you what, I think there was a better one going on right here in the second chapter of Acts. Praising God. And yet there are three different visions or elements of what the church should be. And yes, likely, 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 you were probably drawn to one more than the other. You'd say, yes, that's what the church is all about. So what conclusions can we draw from these passages? What are we supposed to be doing? The first passage sounds like we should, listen, we should all be working and going and doing and serving. Scripture says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the mission of the church is to bring the kingdom of God here right now, in this place. That's what we're to be about. May your kingdom come now. Give us the strength, the power, and the authority to bring your kingdom here right now. The Bible says a lot about serving. It says a lot about Justice, Micah 6.8, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God? One of the great themes about Isaiah is, is, the, is the idea of justice. 26 times in the book of Isaiah, and there really are more references than that, but 26 times that word justice is used. We are to feed the hungry. We're to make sure that people are treated equitably, that there's justice throughout the land. Isaiah says this. He says, if there is no justice between people, there is no peace between people and God. So clearly, I can see the look on some of your faces when you start talking about kingdom come now. Man, you are all in. That's it. End of sermon, Right? Don't you say yes. Absolutely, everybody would agree on that. Surprisingly, there are some that would say no. Emil Bruner is a, a famous theologian. He was one of the most uh, probably influential theologians of the 20th century. And he said, he said this. He said, it is not the primary task of the church to create, to change, or to improve the social order. 
The task of the church lies beyond any social order because its task is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God which transcends social orders, the good and the bad alike. Which leads me to the second passage. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Got it, done. Focus of the church, the mission. Man, we should be all about what? One word, evangelism. Right? Nobody? Evangelism is what the church is all about. The essential work of the church is to fulfill the command of Jesus Christ. Got it. Done. Except the third passage talks about the importance of of praise and worship. Jesus says in John 4, 23, and don't these words resonate in our heart, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And all true worshipers worship from the heart, in spirit, in truth. That's what it really means. It means just loving God from the inside out. It's, it's not about the external. It's, it's not about appearances. Psalm 103, I, I didn't really understand this for a lot of years. Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh my soul, kind of, you know, that's an expression we use. Boy, this is important, oh my soul. No, what the, the psalmist is saying is, bless the Lord, oh my soul. In, in other words, everything that you sense in my heart today, Lord Jesus, everything that you sense in my heart, may it be pleasing to you. May it bring joy to the heart. Oh my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Worship. I came across this picture several years ago of a church in the Philippines, and I honestly don't know the story. All I'm, all I'm doing is just kind of looking at the pictures, you know. But apparently their community and their church was flooded. But it wasn't going to stop them from coming to worship God in his house. Don't get me wrong, I'd rather, I would rather praise God with dry feet. And I think it might be a little unnerving if you're sitting there in your pew just a few inches above the water and you feel a little fish just swim by your ankle. And then Scott would be pulling out a fishing pole during the service. It would be a whole thing. No, I, I want to worship God with dry feet. Look at that picture again. Nothing fancy. No concern about appearances. And I just kind of wonder if that was some of the most precious worship on the entire planet in that moment. Isaiah 66 says this, thus says the Lord, listen, church, listen, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. 
Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one, don't you want to be this one? But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. You see, our Father is not looking for facilities. He doesn't care a thing about them. I've been to St. Peter's Basilica, maybe the most beautiful church that's ever been created. But you know what? I just kind of wonder if that church in the Philippines was really where the worship was occurring. Because it's not about things. It's about heart, isn't it? That's good news. Because every one of us can worship from our heart. I was reminded recently of a time in my last church, and uh, we were able to go back there a few weeks ago for a wedding. It was a sweet time of reunion. But I was reminded of a time in that church where uh, we had a really tough decision. It's kind of like, felt like a no-win situation, like there wasn't a solution. We had a, uh, a, a, an old sanctuary, like, like we do here, except our sanctuary is in pretty good order. That particular sanctuary, man, it, it was literally falling down. It wasn't safe. The, the electrical system, it was scary, you know? And so here was the problem. I'm not talking about our, our old sanctuary. Don't don't go there. I'm just saying that in this particular scenario, we had a church and we didn't have the money to fix it. And if we had fixed it, we really didn't have a purpose for it, but we didn't have the heart to tear it down. And so we were just, we were just stuck. And I got to tell you, it was hard. It went on for a couple years because every time we'd start talking about tearing down that building, people would say things like, but that's where I was baptized. And that's where my mom and daddy were married. And I remember one, one good friend of mine, he, he came up and he said, you know, those chandeliers, my, my daddy, he sacrificed, he, he paid for all those chandeliers and now we're talking about tearing down the building. He, all of those were like, Incredibly sweet and precious memories, right? And I get it. I'm not denying it. They're precious, and you should have those. Here's the thing about human nature, though. Will you listen? Will you listen? Here's the thing. Sometimes we take that precious memory, and we remember also where it happened or a thing that's associated with that thing. Are you with me? And all of a sudden, they become inseparable, to, to the point where we're more focused on the thing than the memory. To, to the point where it can hinder the ministry and the future of a church because we're thinking about a building as opposed to going sharing the love that Jesus Christ has just poured over us. So what are we to do? Keep the precious memory Thank God that mama and daddy were married. Thank, thank God that's where you were baptized. Thank God that you had a daddy that would sacrifice for the church. Thank God for all of that. But let go of the things that have no meaning anymore. 
Let go of the things that are actually going to hinder the ministry and the mission of the church. Keep that precious memory. Let go of the rest. It's, it's just weight. It's just holding us back. Three very different visions of what the church is to be. So which is it? Is it ministry, taking care of people in the church and missions, going outside? Is it evangelism? Is it spread the gospel of Jesus Christ by whatever means? My, one of my favorite lines that the Apostle Paul said, he, he said, I, I have become all things to all people. Don't care. If, you know, if I'm going to hang out with the rich people, man, I can act like a rich person. I, I know how to be poor. I, I can do all these things. Doesn't matter. That's just appearances. What's the matter? What's important is that I just want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is it missions, ministry? Is it evangelism? Is it worship above all things? That's where my heart is. Is it just worship? I think that's the very purpose of our creation. And then just to kind of muddy the water a little bit more, Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Church, based upon the second chapter of Acts, he said that you got to make sure that there's a healthy discipleship in, in your church too, and, and that there should be a, a sweet and strong fellowship within the church. Fellowship to, designed to encourage each other. It's not just to share a good meal with friends. That's precious. I love that. You know, but, but, but that's not fellowship. Fellowship is to increase our love for Jesus, to increase our love for one another, to inspire us to go and do what God has told us to do. So which is it? Which of those five? You know the answer, don't you? You know the answer. It's a mature church. You, you've studied, many of you, the, the scriptures for years. It's not one, but it's, it's all. In fact, listen, Rick Warren, again, based upon the Acts 2, he says that all five of those have to be uh, in present and, uh, for a church to be healthy, and they also, they also have to be in balance. So it's not all, all about one thing, so you kind of veer off course. It's not all about another thing, so you kind of veer off course, but all of those things kind of have to be in balance. I'm not sure I agree with the balance thing exactly. I, again, I'll tell you again, we could agree to disagree, but for me, just worship is preeminent. And then evangelism right there. And discipleship and missions and fellowship. How would you prioritize them? Here's the thing I want you to be aware of, and, and maybe you already have said it to yourself. I haven't told you anything that you don't know. You knew that there are five functions of the church, most of you. That's not an azimuth check. That's not the azimuth check. The azim that's just biblical fact. Here's the azimuth check. Listen, I, I just want to read it and make sure I get it right. Here's the azimuth check. Are you listening? Say amen if you're listening. Thank you. Here's the azimuth check. Are those functions present at JHBC? in appropriate balance, and do our stated priorities reflect our actions where we invest our time, our energy, and our resources? That's the azimuth check. 
Michael, pray that. I love you, brother, and I'm proud of you. I know it's not, it wasn't easy for you to get up during COVID to get up in front of people and pray, and it means a lot to me. I'll always remember that. If you heard Michael's prayer this morning, what you heard him say is that we are here to do what? Did you hear what he said? We are here to go and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. He almost quoted our mission and our vision statement. So the the question is, are we on course as a church? And, And listen, here's the deal. We all get to decide this together. We've got to decide this together. Right? So to help answer that question, Knowing I'm probably about the 20 minute point, let, let me just say, let, let, <laughs> let, me, let me just say this to be silly to answer the question. Let's say an alien falls out of the sky. How did he arrive here? He arrived in a giant white balloon. Who knows? That was a joke, for goodness sakes. <laughs> and thank goodness the alien is invisible because I don't want to see any scary alien. And being invisible helps him because his mission is to come and understand this thing that we call church. And so he doesn't have, he hasn't seen our webpage, and he doesn't know our stated mission and vision statement. And so he, all he has to do, the only way he can kind of figure out what it means to be a part of a church is to watch your behavior over the last year. See, that's a, that's a fair test, right? I'm, I'm going to judge what church is by our behavior together. So are all five functions observable in the church? Missions and ministry observable. What do you think in the church? From my position, I say, well done, commendations, and keep up the good work. Is any church perfect? No. But I believe this is a great strength of the church. And if you have any doubt, I want you to come to the missions and outreach meeting this week and just listen to all of the ministry that's going on. If you have any doubt, just think back about how every time that there's been a disaster, how generous this church has been to reach out Do we do all ministry in the name of Jesus with the hope of sharing the gospel? I tell you what, that's where we need to be on guard. Because listen, P.T. Forsyth said this, Christ the helper is not yet Christ the savior. Merely to bless the world is not yet to secure it for the kingdom of God. The greatest product of the church is not brotherly love, but divine worship. And we shall never worship rightly until we are more engrossed with his cross than our service. We aren't a do-good organization. We aren't doing these things as a show or even to feel good about ourselves. Heaven forbid. We, we do missions in order to have the opportunity, and I, I'll, I, I'll fight anybody that thinks otherwise. The, the point of ministry is so that we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Was Jesus concerned about the hungry people? Yes, he was. He fed them. Why? Because you can't hear the gospel of Jesus Christ over a stomach that's grumbling. 
But it wasn't just to feed them. Here's food for your stomach. Now let me tell you about the bread of life. Which comes to the second one, evangelism. Is it observable in the church? Evangelism is spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching or personal witness. I want to make that distinction because there has been 20th century, 21st century attitude that evangelism is the work of the preacher. And it's just not true. It's funny to me when we look at all of the functions of the church, we go, uh, are, 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 do, do you, are you active in missions and ministry? Every one of you could say yes. Uh, are you involved in worship? Yes, absolutely. Uh, discipleship, are you involved? Almost everybody here is involved in, in discipleship. Are, are you involved in fellowship? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about evangelism? Well, that's not really my gift. That doesn't make any sense. Listen, listen. I take no joy in saying this because the truth is, the truth is, man, I love you. I love you. I was, before this service, I was just thanking God that he brought me here, that he brought us here. So I don't take any joy in this, but evangelism, church, we're broken. Just let's quit pulling punches. It's just not on our radar screen. Here's the downside of not being strong in evangelism. Number one, it's the command of Jesus, and that's that. I mean, that's just it. He says, go, we should go. We don't need any other further reason, right? Here's two more, though, just in case. Number two, and this one's the one that hurts. If we aren't on a daily basis just looking for opportunities to share some information about Jesus. If a week goes by, what that says to me is we don't have much passion for Jesus Christ. Think about, come on now. I know that's not anything anybody wants to hear. Think about any hobby that you have. It's cooking or, 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 or fishing or any other thing that you're passionate about. You can work that into a conversation no matter what. Grand, grandchildren pictures, got them. Right? Passionate. Number one, it's the command of Jesus Christ. Number two, it calls into question our passion for him. Number three, it doesn't bode well for the future of the church. It just, it just doesn't. Listen, it's so hard to say this. You know, when I got here, we had averaging 225, 240. Same decline that we've seen in the church since 1967. That was the heyday. That was the glory days of the church has continued to decline. COVID hurt. We haven't bounced back yet from that. People say, I'll tell you what the problem is. It's that darn contemporary music. If we just sang more hymns. We, we've lost 
a few people, just a handful, really, people just say, I can't take that contemporary music. Cool. If it's not your thing, you can't bear it, go find some place where you can. Go some, find some place where you can worship. You know, you know how we can mark down how we got from where we were when I got here to where we are now? Every year over the last nine years, I've averaged 10 funerals, 90 people. And that alone, see, we're just not replacing the ones that have gone home to be with Jesus. So, so let's quit playing and saying, well, if we just had one more hymn, that's going to change everything. No, it's, it's not. It's our passion. Good news is we can do better together. Amen? Is discipleship observable in the church? Good news. I, I think discipleship is pretty healthy. I look at the percentage of people that come into the church service and the people that are coming to Sunday school, it's pretty high. People come in back a little bit to Wednesday night. It's encouraging. About, I would say about 80, 85% of the church, and there may be others that I'm not aware of, they're in a discipleship. You're in a, a growing, be more like Jesus discipleship, you know, Sunday school, and thank God for our teachers. I'm looking around, and I, I know some of you are beautiful, wonderful teachers. Thank God for you. Thank, I had a woman come up to you today. Oh, said, I would like to be a Sunday school teacher. What? Praise God. Discipleship. Is fellowship observable in the church? What do you think? I, I think in many ways there's a very sweet and loving fellowship in this church. Do you agree? You know, every time I, I uh, go to the back door and I greet people or meet people for the first time, they always say this, and please, from this day forward and always, continue on. This is the friendliest church I've ever been to. And we missed you today. Don't call us a liar. We just missed you. But the truth is the doors are open. I've been to churches where you had to fight your way in this isn't that church. It's a welcoming church. And I'm thankful to be part of it. We just, we just remember that fellowship isn't about eating nice meals together. I love that. But fellowship are those activities that encourage us and stimulate us. And like all churches, we need to be on guard about gossip, backbiting, things that cause disunity in the church. We can't be a church that tolerates it. Some churches have a we for and no more mentality. That's not this church. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. I have a friend who was a pastor of a church. We for and no more. He was trying to, for goodness sakes, do you know what he tried to do? He tried to get an outreach program, go out into the community, invite people to come to church. <gasps> and he lost his church over it truth not here is worship observable and preeminent in our church out of worship do all the other functions spring forth it's hard for me to judge that all I know is that I think we work really hard to try to set the table and then the rest is kind of up to us together where are our hearts did we come prepared to worship were we open 
to the Spirit. Worship. Worship. Over the last few weeks, I've been watching uh, an amazing movement of God on the internet and a revival that had broken down, uh, broken out at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. I'm told it started uh, at a normal chapel service, you know, one of those mandatory chapel services. I've been to those, uh, often not exactly spirit, you know, filled. At the end of the service, there was about 30 young men who decided they felt like they needed to go back. And people just kept coming. Look at that picture. They just kept coming. They had no plan. They had no bulletin. An empty stage. But a desire to worship. Hundreds kept coming. And then thousands of people came to where it got to the point that they had to spread out to other buildings. That there were worship services outside this building. People opened their houses to strangers that they didn't know that came from all over the world, literally all over the world to be part of that because they hungered for something more than perhaps they were getting in their church. Something more. People donated food, lots and lots of food, just so people could eat. And it, it, just, it just sounded like Acts 2. They, they kept coming because they just wanted to worship and they just wanted to feel the presence of God. And as I was watching, they, they began to sing a song that I didn't know. I found out later it was called Nothing Else. Scott sang it so beautifully. L listen just one more time. I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. More than anything that you can do, I just want you. I'm sorry when I've gone through the motions. I'm sorry when I just sang another song. Take me back to where we started. I open my heart to you. I'm sorry when I've come with my agenda. I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough. Take me back to where we started. I open my heart to you. It spoke to my heart because 
over the last 40 years of, as being a Christian, I've been to a lot of revivals, but I've never been revived. And now there are a lot more years behind me than there are in front of me. And I hunger. I'm desperate for a fresh breath of the Spirit. And it was kind of a surprising thought that as I was thinking about this, to say honestly before God, I'm desperate for this, but you know what? I'm just as desperate for you. That the Spirit of God would breathe on us. I'm tired of too many prayers asking for things. I do not enough prayers just praising him. And like the lyrics, I'm sorry when I've gone through the motions. And I am exhausted by my agenda and by your agenda. And I don't want either one anymore. I just deeply want to experience the joy of my salvation again. And I would be overjoyed if you would too. So, oh God of heaven, if you would be so kind, please send your spirit to fill us. Because we are a dry people and we need to be filled. Please come break hard hearts and give us new ones. Come not for a show, but because your people are more desperate for you than we know. Come, please, so we might worship you in spirit and in truth and in joy. Are we on the right track? Good azimuth? I think we should celebrate the good things that are going on in the church and that we should have the courage to ask God to help us to bear even more fruit. And I think it would be really great if we would fess up to where we've fallen short and reorient to make our Father's priorities our own. And I hope above all that will mean coming back to the heart of all things, worshiping Jesus who is worthy. And as we do, I believe all the other pieces will fall gently into place. It's a communal choice that we make together. Would you pray with me? I'm just about out of words, Father. You know my heart. I pray, Father, for this church, I pray for this people that we would have a unity in the spirit that is above all things. I pray, Father, that our heart's desire would be to glorify you and to bring the lost into a loving and eternal relationship. And I pray, Father, that you would forgive us. Oh, church, won't you join me? I pray that you'll forgive us where we have come with our own agendas. 
And I pray, Father, that it will reorient us and return to us the joy of our salvation. We love you. Help our words match our deeds. In Jesus' name. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. We have this invitation at the end of the church service, an opportunity for it. Hopefully, as you have been touched by this Holy Spirit, as you have heard him in your heart, your mind, to say yes to him. It's not a show. It's not a way to wrap up the service. It's the culmination, an opportunity to worship. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I beg you to come so that you may have life joyfully, fully, and eternally. And even if you don't understand everything about Jesus, I don't understand everything either. But if you know that he's tugging on your heart, I want you to come today. If you're ready to set aside your agenda and just worship him, come, pray for your church. Wouldn't it be wonderful, tremendous, if the church was filled like that again? Not, not with people, but with the Holy Spirit. People will come. Whatever it is, as the Spirit has spoken to you, will you come? Scott, would you lead us in one last song?